Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about Fed rate hikes and what will happen to housing in the next recession. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Matt Dowd, Vice President of Product Management at ICE Mortgage Technology, about mortgage automation. Matt, how does automated underwriting help the housing industry in general, especially with getting more people into homes? Well, there's a few ways that I can see how accelerating this process helps more people get into a home. First off, by reducing the time required to process loan applications and providing faster loan approval times and really making more accurate lending decisions, that should help more people get into homes. You know, the quicker and consistent decisioning actually increases the likelihood of approval so that when we run across life events and such, which happen during any of the process and could change the borrower's circumstances. So by implementing the process in uh, technology, you know, in creating these speeds and efficiencies, I think lenders can focus more time on attracting more borrowers, which should result in more closed loans and ultimately provide more opportunities for people to become homeowners. Great points. And listeners, you can find out more at icemortgagetechnology.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah Wheeler. And we're doing this podcast on a Thursday morning. So who knows what's going to happen Friday or over the weekend or Monday morning by the time we get this. But uh, uh, it's just one of those one of those economic periods in time where you know you could be hours late and things could change it's true and we're doing this because you're going on a trip as you should do you should have a life so thank you for making the time now and uh, we will air this on monday so let's jump in so the fed the fed just said something today one of one of their guys um what did they say and it and it relates to articles that you've written for us well <laughs> They make me laugh. It's just it's just one of these things. Um, after all that we've been through recently, one of the Fed members had talked about, well, you know, we we I I, I didn't have a problem hiking rates in the last uh, uh, meeting, but you know we have to be very aggressive against inflation. We don't want inflation to be entrenched, and then you know us coming back and hiking rates even more. No, 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 no. Because you lived in the 1970s does not mean that we are stuck in the 1970s uh, type of inflation. The the economies were different. The bond market is telling you that. If the bond market, the 10-year yield has been was north of six, seven, eight percent, then yeah, okay, you you got a point. The the marketplace, but the bond market doesn't agree with you. Most Americans don't agree with you, and you are a Federal Reserve member. The 1970s had specific. Uh, uh, economic factors, the oil shock. There's other. There's all these things that we just don't have them here. And again, 44.4 percent of CPI is shelter. It's rent. Rent is lagging. The growth rate is already cooling down. Uh, your, your inflationary data is already held up uh, artificially because of a of a bug in the system. Get over it, right? So the other side of me would say. Well, the Federal Reserve is just talking tough. They don't really believe this. Okay. But they this is a group of people that just let a national banking crisis happen underneath their watch and they have to do emergency lending. So we can't let the driver say, hey, listen, we're driving drunk, but it's okay. 
because the car will stop eventually and we won't hit anything. No. Um, get off of this 1970s inflation. It's just, it doesn't even look good anymore. It's just like the 10-year yields at what, 3.50%. If we were in the 70s, we're 9, 10% inflation would be rampant. Fed, you know, not, not the case, not the case. And uh, I always refer back to, if you are a 1970s inflation person, you have to be a housing boom person. Existing home sales were booming. Rent inflation was booming. We didn't have a lot of supply back then after the 74 recession, multifamily construction collapse. We have a lot of homes under construction that could bring more supply. So it's totally different dynamics. Um, and I hope when it's all said and done, these people will be held accountable for a, not a very valid premise uh, by their talking points lately. Why do you think they go there if the data does not show anything like that? Same reason that I've always thought. I thought they they believe they have to talk tough because it's not they're not talking to American people. They're talking to Wall Street. They're talking to bond traders. And there's this huge battle now, another battle, uh, where the arrogance of the Fed was, don't worry, we're just going to hike rates to 6% now. And all of a sudden, 10 days later, oh, we have a national crisis. The short-term yields have collapsed. So um, there's a part of me that really enjoys some of the stuff that were said today, that they're still you know, in the 6% Fed fund, whatever, wherever they want to take this to, while the marketplace is like, okay, this is the third time we're trying to help you out here. Uh, take it, right? You know, our, our talking points here is take the victory. The marketplace is giving you a gift. Okay, so go with it. If you if you want to say if they come out here as a, as professionals and say we believe rent inflation is going to take off and housing is going to take off and rent inflation will push the CPI up toward 10, 12, 14%, we have problem. Okay, then say it. But you're not saying it because you you know it's not true. So I think half of it is just talking, half of them is they they, they don't know. They're just afraid. They're just, they're all over the place. And uh, we, you know, part of the uh, thing we talked about on CNBC yesterday that uh, they've abandoned housing because I don't, I don't think they're comfortable talking about the housing market. I mean, this is an institution that's missed a lot of things on housing. And just, I think one thing about what Jay Powell said when they asked him, well, what about housing construction? He said, well, there's, there's a lot of homes under construction and maybe they could convert those uh, commercial buildings to condos. Oh, just amateur hour. That was the day that I just like totally lost respect for Jay Powell. That is such a rookie kid statement to the national public. I Really? That's how the foundation of construction is going to be built? Maybe they convert? No, that's not how housing construction has worked for decades. So it's just, they're getting more and more annoying. And it's just for somebody who has defended the Fed for so many years, um, uh, it's the frustration is just boiling up here. So I, I was glad to hear that there's going to be an investigation. I'm glad there's other people talking that the Fed shouldn't be able to govern themselves. And I hope there's long-term changes of an institution that's had to relieve some of their members for illegal stock tradings. They let a, some of them get off as well. And then we could all as a country look at them because clearly the watchers of the economy need a watcher for themselves. You know, one of the, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, and other people did the Fed break, you know, the banking system. Did the Fed break SVB? Did it break these other things? What is your what is your take on that? I think a lot of models were based on interest rates staying low. I think that's the the, the UK crisis uh, where their pension funds were going to be like wiped out, and and you don't hear it anymore. 
because uh, bond yields and and, and things have, have stayed calm. But uh, uh, if you're running in a very aggressive Fed rate hike, and uh, you have to probably assume that you have your own models designed on the institutions that you're managing, oh my, wait a second. <laughs> what just happened here? We ran something in our own models. Guess what? They didn't probably uh, adjust for that. And that's, that's why I, I still say somebody at the San Francisco Fed needs to lose their job. There has to be consequences for this. And if there's no consequences, then why should any change of behavior? So uh, I noticed that nobody asked the Fed that question. Uh, maybe the Fed just said, listen, don't ask it. We're not going to, you know, so uh, it goes back to Jay Powell's statement in November. I don't see any financial stress at all in the system for our aggressive rate hikes. Emergency lending happening right now. Banks are in trouble. We have to save them. Bank run. We don't want 1907. So even with all that said, some of the members are like, we have to fight inflation. The 1970s entrenched inflation. So when people say that, Oh, you you talk about the 1970s inflation. Tour. Yes, because they talk about the 1970s inflation so much. Uh, uh, and I've got my own models for the 70s. And I think for me, what, what I do on Twitter finance is actually show people what rent inflation looked like in the, in, in the mid-70s, late 70s, early 80s. And people are just like, oh my, yeah, that was a big deal. Not many people know that about housing. And uh, to say that's going to happen again now with our demographic and everything, it's just... Mm questionable. And uh, we all know shelter inflation is cooling down. The growth rate is cooling down. And it's just it's so, so hard to sustain those kind of high levels, especially now that you know more supply is coming onto the market. And uh, we're an aging country. We're not a young country with the, the baby boomers first coming into the uh, forefront. So one of the things I've seen today, Logan, and haven't dug into it too much is that there are different countries, including China, very large country. Um, and it's it's not going to be using the dollar and, you know, kind of give us that macro look, especially from a, we talk about the variables, uh, the world variables that really can impact our economy. So let's talk about that for a minute. You know, there's stories that Iran and Saudi Arabia have did a peace agreement. And because of that, China is going to have them use the yuan to purchase dollars or want to use the yuan to for exchange for oil king dollar reserve currency this has been you know uh, our strength and immediately i've had so many messages this is the end of the uh <laughs> king dollar that you always talk about okay. i want everyone to go find a chart about how much dollars in circulation and what's dollars used and it's the dollar very high and then the euro is the second and it's far behind us. So until I see anything even remotely come close to the euro, please do not waste your time on stories like this. Uh, um, we're going to flex our economic power this century, especially against China and other countries that join or align themselves. So bring it, right? The most bearish American citizens that I've ever felt were all either anti-central bank people or Russian trolls, and they all sound alike to me. Uh, the destroyed, the, the king dollar being destroyed, major inflation. I say, let's bring the war to them. And this is one of the reasons why I say we are ready to challenge everyone live because people have been talking about the dollar collapse for decades, uh, and they traditionally are very bearish people 24-7, and none of these things have ever happened. In fact, inflation itself, uh, in the 21st century was never a thing 
here and around the world, in, in a sense, except for third world countries that have to go against the dollar. A global pandemic changed some of that dynamics. But the 21st century, we've seen very uh, stable low uh, uh, growth rate of inflation all the time. So uh, I, I am so excited for this topic going out for the next 10 to 20 years because we have something that a lot of the mature, older, wealthy countries don't have. We have a young workforce. China's population growth uh, prime age peaked in 2015, right? They're lying about all their economic stuffs left and right. They want to join with other countries that aren't close to the US. Bring it, I say. Bring it. Let's bring the American bears. Let's just, let's take this fight for the next two decades. I am so ready for this one. This makes me more excited than anything else. So uh, to your answer, that's that's what I want. Uh, go look at the dollar. Uh, the euro is the only thing and the euro is so far behind the dollar out there and everything else is so tiny. So I say let's 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 get this fight going. It'll be good. Okay. Well, you clearly have strong opinions there. Uh, thanks for sharing your insights. Because just like you, I mean, we see people, you know, bubbling this up on different social or different stories, and it's like professional people- trolling. People have done this for ten, twenty, thirty years. The end of the United States of America. Good dollar. All you know. There's a there's an article I wrote uh, in 2019. Um, it says uh, uh, you know 71 trillion dollars in debt by 2060. It's my model to show you how much uh, uh, debt is going to occur. And the f- the first thing I always tell people is that if, if America, if whatever the empire they like to call us, uh, is going to be destroyed because of the kingdom, well, what's going to happen in Japan? What's going to happen to the UK or Germany or the Euro or Brazil? Are these countries so much more powerful than us on the economic side? No, we're it. And we're going to flex our muscles. So I am ready for this. I mean, this is this is like there's a picture of me on Christmas, like uh, Christmas week, where there's a there's a uh, a board. I was giving a presentation, and I always said all American bears have failed since 1790. And you know, higher federal debt does not create hyperinflation. If there is one group of people that I'm ready to go to war with, it's them. Uh, all the time. So uh, so you ask me that question, I am so excited about this because. When it's all said and done, these people will be the most bearish American citizens we'll ever have in our lifetime, but borderlying on you know Russian trolls who've disseminated fake information that have tricked these people into saying the same thing. So I am very passionate about this, this topic. I see that. I'm glad I asked. Okay, so another uh, macroeconomic thing. So you put housing, you labeled that housing was in a recession starting last June, and you had raised your six recession red flags last year to say the overall economy could be going into a recession. We're not quite there yet. And you just wrote an article for us about what housing will look like as we go into this recession. So, you know, let's talk about that. How close are we? What are you looking for? And then let's talk about what housing looks like. So right now, everyone's talking about credit crunches, which is, you know, when we start to see uh, credit deteriorate or less credit growth, that's typically we're getting closer and closer to a recession because that's what the U.S. economy revolves itself on. It's credit expansion. Um, because of the banking stress, everyone has now, even the Federal Reserve has said that we're closer to a recession because of this, if this starts to grow. Uh, so w- during COVID, um, of course, we're, this is, we're almost in April 7th. It's going to be the three-year anniversary of the America's Back Recovery Model. One of the things that happened uh, during the recovery is that people kept on saying housing credit will get very tight. What I mean by very tight is that the products that people were using to buy homes will be either taken away or the pricing will be too high. 
and the um, or the availability for certain products. Uh, uh, the the standards for them would be very strict. So it limits the credit because these banks don't want to lose money during a recession or that's the credit risk channels. That's perfectly normal, except a lot of people are using the, what I call the 2008 playbook for this. And in that, though, that article there has a, a lot of charts in it, but it also shows that what we saw from 2002 to 2008 was historically uh, a once in a lifetime event where credit availability just boomed. And because of credit availability boomed, credit was booming. Like I would say, like people who've seen my work over the years, they always know I draw a black line between 2002 to 2005 in the purchase application data. Just to, just to always emphasize, we never had a massive credit boom. So it's hard to have a credit bust. Uh, um, and uh, we came from the weakest housing recovery ever. So we, we don't have the same dynamics. But credit collapsed in the United States of America in the base, biggest fashion ever uh, from 2005 to 2008. We're not going to have that happen again. Why? We haven't even like recovered back to the credit availabilities of 2019. I mean, the, if you look at the credit availability chart, there's nothing much going on for a very long time. Uh, so when the job loss recession happens, be careful of the people that say like all these loans are going to be shut down. Freddie, Fannie, FHA, VA. Majority of all loans are either insured or bought by government agencies. If they were publicly traded companies, like you know, a bank that needs a bank uh, 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 emergency lending facility to be saved, that's a totally different conversation I would be having right now. But they're not, and as long as they're not, credit can flow in housing. So what happened is housing broke out before COVID. Behavior stopped for six to eight weeks. Mortgage rates were low. Home prices hadn't taken off like it did. And uh, we were set to go. I mean, we were within six to eight weeks, we already recovered back on purchase application data and the rest is history. Don't use that playbook here. And the charts are so easy to read. And you can see such a difference that the there are products that will be tighter. Of course, non-QM lenders uh, will be stressed. Jumbo products, home equity lines, but the credit crash is is not a thing here because we never had a credit boom, and then it also goes into the you know what what can be a risk is that the mortgage backed spreads, uh, security spreads you know usually it's one point six to one point eight zero that's the ten year yield versus the thirty year mortgage rate we kind of have that distance and that you know slow dance that we've had since nineteen seventy one, it's gotten a lot wider recently. Uh, that is a question mark because it, it doesn't seem like the Federal Reserve wants to help housing. So if the recession happens, maybe this time they don't do that. Maybe they don't come in and help the spreads. Now, some people would argue at that point, the spreads would get narrower by themselves just because they're high. But that's a risk that is a question mark. That is a legit concern to have. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, just the entire consumer credit channels where homeowners aren't foreclosing their homes or filing for bankruptcies like they did in 2005, 6, 7, 8. I mean, if there was one chart I would show every day, it's that one, where we saw credit stress in the systems. You know, my sixth recession red flags, the last time it was raised before, you know, August 5th, 2020, was late 2006. And we had credit stress in the system. People could see people were foreclosing, filing for bankruptcies more. And the structures of the debt that were in the system were, were not very good. Totally different story. So, when the recession happens, housing, as as long as rates go down, is disproportionately benefited. Uh, just like in last year, we had a great labor market, the economy was growing, and housing was disproportionately hit 
because mortgage rates went up so much. So it works the other way as well, uh, except now we have over 155 million people working. Uh, the credit channels are still somewhat stable uh, uh, and uh, uh, mortgage rates are higher than what they should be. But again, the cr- credit is flowing. And at some point, the Federal Reserve, hopefully, when people are losing their jobs and they're going, we need to fight inflation, you know, I, hopefully at that point, if, if, if I'm wrong, then my whole Fed pivot premise goes out the door. But by that point, things should change. We already seen short-term rates just collapse because they're not agreeing with the Fed or, or anything in that matter. So we take it one day at a time, but the credit differences are, are like historic in nature. We're, we're never going to have two di- cycles that are different, 2008 versus whatever, whenever the recession happens here, or e- even in COVID, the recovery. Credit didn't really get as tight as people thought it would. Other parts of the economy can see credit getting tighter, credit cards or or you know, uh, uh, commercial loans, of course, uh, uh, loans to even build you know, by, uh, by uh, land. Those things, yes. But the consumer, the mortgage market, because most people are 30-year fixed loans, you know, it's uh, it, it's uh, the NAR just had that data where they showed the financing of all Americans at all ages. Over ninety percent is long-term fixed products. Let me ask you about that um, commercial loans and what we might see there um, when it comes to the banks that do those loans. When it comes to those companies, what I mean, what are we seeing with a commercial loan? Well, those banks directly uh, get impacted. They'll take losses. You might see job losses in there. The third-party risks the to the local economies, but in the national housing sense, uh, because Freddie and Fannie run the show. Uh, they're not very. They're not tied to that, so it, it, it's different. Since my sixth recession, red flags are already up as of August fifth, twenty twenty two. I I haven't even focused on that because it, it's we 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 haven't even seen the impact of that yet. Uh, and of course, now with the banking crisis, now it, it highlights itself. But um, people have been talking about a recession for eighteen months because of commercial loans. It, it's done nothing. The economy is still expanding, right? Jobless claims are low. People are are still consuming. So. You have to let the credit crunch happen first before you start to engage it. Uh, that's how economic cycle recessions and expansions have worked since the Peloponnesian War. You can't just sit there and go X date or X, you know, you have to take the variables in because uh, a lot of people thought we were in a recession January of 2022. That was wrong. Created millions of jobs last year. The economy was growing, you know. Uh, here, retail sell, all these things are still in expansion mode. There's a point to get into the credit crunch more directly. And uh, uh, credit creation has slowed down recently, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, the banks were literally going under that were facilitating loans back in 2002 to 2005. So that's a major credit crunch, right? Demand was at what's over 7 million homes were being bought back then. Uh, You would need credit availability to stay high or even get looser to keep that going. The collapse in home sales was an affordability issue, not so much of a credit crunch issue. And we had that, and we had the big bounce already, right? We've actually gone through the big collapse and then the first big bounce in sales. Uh, uh, and really, it's just affordability and rates. That's that's uh, that's what we're seeing right now. So hopefully, uh, people can understand that that nobody talked about possibly having a six hundred thousand month to month sales report. Right? It wasn't on anyone's radar. How is that possible? It's not because credit is still flowing and rates came down. 
Keep it as simple as that right now, because really the, the credit channels in America for housing are really boring. They're not, they're not exciting whatsoever. But when we talk about a, a banking crisis, right, their banks are at risk if they have these commercial loans that are, that are going to crash. So what, what do you think about that? Well, I think the $46 billion worth of loans are coming due in a $20 trillion economy. Um, you know, the re- regionally, if any institution is lending to the local economy and they have a credit problem, like, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, why did they save them? Because it was very important to the local economy. The question I, I always have pe- to people is that what do you think would occur with the government's response to that? I mean, we all know it's coming, right? It's the, we've been talking about this for years. So you you have to assume that something in during that process gets done to not have the full impact negative effect, a uh, worst case scenario. Like a lot of people just always take the worst case scenario. That's why I say, let's get to that bridge when it's there. And then we could actually see where, where it impacts. Because I think uh, local economies, like Silicon Valley Bank was a very great example. It really would impact tech startups and everything if that went under. That would be very detrimental to that. In terms of the housing market on a national basis, nothing. It's not that big. In the local, local housing market, it can be. But in, in the general sense, Freddie and Fannie run the show. So as long as they are functioning, uh, FHA, VA, as long as they are functioning, then, then the credit can flow on housing. Banks uh, giving uh, credit cards or local loans, and that, that can impact a, a local economy. You know, like the uh, Dakotas, the boom and bust in the oil shell, you know, that happened, didn't impact the U.S. economy in terms of creating a recession, but it did create a recessionary uh, impact in those communities that were living off of that boom and bust. So uh, uh, you, you be mindful of it, you wait until you get there and then see especially what how the responses are because everyone know it's everyone knows it's coming it's not like this is like hidden somewhere uh but uh, again this week pretty calm right for national i mean no there's no I think story. you have just jinxed it you have just jinxed no, it no i Logan, i mean i mean crazy. this is this this week has been pretty calm bond yields reversed gandalf line held you know there's no stories of you know people running around to other banks, and I think that's uh, uh, the Federal Reserve, the government, FDIC, FDIC did did great work again. They have the ability to to fix problems, and they realize how fast they have to get ahead of them. So, uh, don't assume the worst of everything yet. Assume the worst of things you might not know about, and that just pops up, just like you know the Silicon Valley Bank. But in general, uh, everyone's has their eye on this already. Uh, and we'll see how many banks get hit, how much are the local economies. But it's not like the big commercial banks or the government f- lending systems that we have for the United States housing market. Earlier, you said the job loss recession. So my question is, when you talk about the recession that's coming, right, the next one, is it always going to be, I mean, is it the nature of recessions that you could call all of them a job loss recession? Or when when you say that- you. You cannot have a recession without jobless claims rising. It's never it's never been part of. See my my six recession red flag model, which got so much fun presenting that to the government and institutions last year. It's a progression model to show you stages because each cycle is different. It's not designed to say, okay, on August fifth, twenty twenty two, here's the recession. No, 
It's designed to get you to this point to then look for jobless claims. This is why I always talk jobless claims over everything else. When jobless claims tend to break at the at, at whatever point, it's really obvious uh, the the economic cycle is over. If you go back to other recessions, you can see this jobless claims just breaks at that point, and then jobs get lost. Uh, so we're at the point on August fifth to okay, we hand this off, and now until jobless claims break, you really can't have a recession. That means that demand was still stable enough to keep people employed. Uh, a lot of mistake was made in 2022 that economic growth slowed down to negative for two quarters. And that was a just no, that wasn't a recession. And we could see this in the data lines. Remember, 155 million people plus are working, right? So they have to consume goods and services every day. Right at some point, there's a shock in the system. There's a sector of the system that get you know that gets hit, like the tech bubble. The tech bubble was highly regular. You know, it was it was it was tech centric. You know, two and a half million people lost their job. It wasn't like a big general recession. Retail sales hardly even went negative year over year because most people were working. But we did have uh, enough damage to where those two and a half million people lost their job. The great financial crisis was different. That was consumer credit, deleveraging, foreclosures, every bad thing you could happen because that was consumer credit related and then also third-party risk of banks. COVID, we weren't going in a recession before COVID. And you know we had a little pause in behavior and everyone went back to living their lives and the adjustments of trying to get an economy to work during a global pandemic. So each cycle is different. At this point, you just wait for jobless claims to break. And I don't even have a very high historical number. 323,000 on a four-week moving average, that's historically a very low number for jobless claims. But where we are right now, we get to that point, that's the deterioration in the labor market. I chose that number because I, I thought that would be a hard number to get to as long as the economy is expanding. And we're sitting here, April 2023, Jobless claims, the last print is still four-week moving averages under 200,000. Great insights. Logan, thanks for joining us and talking through all the different parts of the recession and what that could mean for housing. Appreciate you. Pleasure is always mine. Calling all mortgage title and insurance leaders. With interest rates shutting down your refinance business, your relationship with your real estate partners is more important than ever. HW Media wants to help you deepen relationships and find success in this competitive purchase market by inviting you to attend Gathering of Eagles. Real Trends Gathering of Eagles is the real estate industry's premier event, bringing together leaders from the most successful brokerages in the country. For the first time ever, this closed event is open to our full audience. Check out the show notes to find out more or head over to realtrends.com to purchase your ticket today. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.